0: Welcome to the Popcorn Talk Network. For the online broadcast network that features movie discussion, news, and interviews, press 1. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. From the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network for movie talk, Alicia Malone with Scott Movie Mance and the Schmoes No, this is Profile, in-depth spotlights on the greatest filmmakers and artists in motion picture history. Hello, Profilers, and we're I so tell glad to be, it's so it's our 46 to be back, great I mean, like to five and he or
1: six weeks
2: we an episode of- It doesn't work.
1: Oh, that only works in a Robert Altman movie. Yes. Yes, yes, Not for a podcast. No, not for this podcast. (laughs) Yes, ladies and gentlemen. It took long (laughs) enough, but we are finally, after 46 shows, getting around to profiling not only one of the greatest American filmmakers (laughs) of all time, but also the best and greatest independent filmmaker of all time, Robert Altman.
2: Damn right. The thing that I love about Robert Altman is that he is a true indie director in every way. Even when he worked in the studio system, he had that great independent spirit. Nobody did what he did. He broke all the rules like the overlapping dialogue, like the use of camera, like the intersecting storylines and the millions of characters on screen and the kind of subjects that he tackled, often mixing up genres at the same time.
1: He mixed up genres. He had an an innovative use of sound as well, which he did, like, really from his first breakthrough movie, you know, MASH, like, right away! You know, you got the overlapping dialogue, but, you know, they didn't call Robert Altman a maverick for nothing. He really did sort of, he shunned the Hollywood system. He made Mm -hmm. movies his own way, and he did 39 films as a director between 1957, his first movie, and his final film, A Prairie Home Companion, in 2006. And uh, they, he was so effective at, at creating this genre. I mean, we'll get to this later mm-hmm. in the show, but there are so many movies that would not exist had it not been for these Altman-esque films.
2: Oh, for sure. And actors loved working with him. He often worked with the same actors you see, or the same players, you should say, like yeah. seeing Lily <laughs> Tomlin. And Elliot Gould and Tim Robbins, Michael Murphy. Michael Murphy. He really allowed them freedom to improvise and do what they did best. And it's amazing to me. I think it's inspiring that he didn't hit his breakthrough movie till he's in his forties.
1: Right. Exactly. There's
2: hope for me yet.
1: I mean, he was. Hey, hey. Well, I guess I'm a little past <laughs> my prime here. Then, but uh, but yeah, he really like, cut his teeth doing a lot of episodic TV. And he got bored with that, and then he started making movies his own way. He got into uh, arguments with the studios because they didn't get him Mm -hmm. because he was always, always, always ahead of his time. This is going to be a really great profile to do on Robert Altman. And...
2: Wonderful life.
1: Wonderful life, wonderful career. What an amazing career. I mean, my God, Robert (laughs) Altman. I've always wanted to profile Robert Altman, but before we get to the show, let's see his wonderful life right now.
0: Roll it. Robert Bernard Altman was born on February 20, 1925, in Kansas City, Missouri. His mother, Helen, was a descendant of the Mayflower, and his father, Bernard, was a wealthy insurance salesman. In 1943, Altman joined the U.S. Air Force and flew more than 50 bombing missions during World War II. Upon his discharge, he moved to Hollywood, where he tried his hand at screenwriting and songwriting. He even tried acting, appearing in 1947's The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Throughout the 50s and 60s, he directed more than 65 short films and documentaries for The Calvin Company and worked frequently in television, directing classic episodes of Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Bonanza, Peter Gunn, and Route 66, to name a few. Altman made his big-screen directorial debut in 1957 with the teen exploitation film The Delinquents, but his breakthrough didn't come until 1970 with his adaptation of the anti-war satire M.A.S.H. Over the next four decades, Altman solidified his reputation as a maverick filmmaker thanks to classics like Macabre and Mrs. Miller, The Long Goodbye, Nashville, The Player, Shortcuts, Gosford Park, and his final film, A Prairie Home Companion. Robert Altman was nominated for seven Academy Awards, five of them for Best Director. And in 2006, he was awarded an honorary Oscar for his innovative and influential body of work. Altman died in Los Angeles on November 20th, 2006 at the age of 81.
1: Wow. I remember when I heard that he died. I mean, you know, we've read about things, we see things online, Some somebody passed away, like, you know, David Bowie, that was a shock. Yeah. But I was, I remember being really, really upset about Robert Alton because I just had been watching his movies, like, non since I was a kid.
2: So what is your first blood, then? Well,
1: my first blood was actually Popeye.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: I was 11 years old, it came out in 1980, and my parents thought, oh, we'll take him to see Popeye, he'll love it. I didn't get it. <laughs> I mean, because even though it was supposed to be a big commercial film, it really wasn't. It was actually mm-hmm. kind of a bomb, and it set Robert Been back uh, quite a few years, and he really sort of didn't have his comeback movie until about twelve years later with the player. But you know, they thought, "Oh, Robin Williams in his first movie! You know, the Shelley Duvall as olive oil. What's not to like?" Well, he was—he's a great director, but not with that kind of material. So I just didn't get it. But what is your first blood?
2: My first blood wasn't until the player. Oh, right. So I didn't discover Robert Altman until I was in my teens and we talk about this a lot on profiles for good reason that, you know, I didn't go to the cinema much when I was younger. There was no opportunity, didn't have the money. So I would go down to the video store and just trawl through all the shelves and I would stick in the classics a lot and then I would try these avant-garde directors and I saw the player and again it was just like okay this guy I need to find more of his stuff funnily enough after I saw the player and I really liked the satire I, I liked what it was saying about Hollywood and a great story and very meta as well but after the play I went to press a porté <laughs> oh,
1: yeah.
3: ready to
2: wear which I actually didn't mind I know I didn't do so I well thought it was okay I, it wasn't
1: great yeah but was, I thought it was all in right my teen years in I thought that
2: was kind of cool it was fashion and, you know. even
1: when his movies aren't great there's still something to them that make them great for sure and Pauline Kale the great film critic said that Robert she liked him a lot she championed him she He's didn't great. just like his yeah, movies yeah which
2: is so important for his success so
1: important and especially this day and age to have a Critic championing your films, which is where we come in. But Pauline <laughs> Carroll said that Robert Altman could make fireworks out of next to nothing.
2: Yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, let's get into our fast five, shall we? Great idea. At number five is. This isn't
3: hospital! It's an insane asylum! And <laughs> it's your fault!
1: Uh, Nash! Nash uh, released on. January 25th, 1970, cost $3 million to make. Box office domestic, $81.6 million. Instantly made Robert Altman a sought-after director. Mm-hmm. Five Oscar nominations, including Best Picture and Robert Altman's first nomination for Best Director. One Oscar win for Adapted Screenplay. It won the Golden Globe for Best Picture, Musical, or Comedy. And it won the top prize at the 1970 Cannes Film Festival. And it was
2: actually a comedy. It was at a the comedy. It's great. It, well,
1: it, it is <laughs> Funny. It is
2: funny. It's dark as well.
1: Because it's a it's a political war satire. It's
2: an anti-war film.
1: And here's a movie that came out in the middle of Vietnam yeah. and it takes place in
2: yeah, Korea. In Korea. <laughs> and the thing that is interesting about it was it's based on a popular book, and then at the time of, of filming, it was the same time that Patton was shooting and Torah Torah Torah. Tora, Tora. Tora. And so I think the studio was worried about the film fitting in. Um It also was able to go under the radar a lot, no pun intended. <laughs> so then, Altman was able to. <laughs> Good one, wish. <Leesh. laughs> was able to, you know, get away with some of the countercultural stuff that he put in there. When Fox first saw it, they were like, "Oh no, this is going to be a disaster!" But it ended up, obviously, being a classic. And film. Because
1: because Fox was so worried about *Tora Tora Tora* and Patton, Robert Altman said that *Mash* wasn't released. It escaped. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. And that's a great thing because, I mean, even by today's standards, you know, you're watching that movie and from the very, very first scene after the opening credits, you know, suicide is painless. Yeah,
2: which his son, Robert Altman's son, wrote the lyrics to when he was 14 14 years old. 14 years old. Amazing. runs in the family. But you know straight away that you're not in for the usual war film.
1: No, you're not. And And it's got
2: the intersecting, you know, dialogue, the, the camera moves, all the different characters that you have to keep on top of. Donald Sutherland in there, and Elliot Gould. Elliot Gould. Apparently, they had a pretty tough time shooting. There's rumors that Elliot and Donald kind of wanted Altman fired off the project. They didn't quite understand what was going they on. Didn't get him. But obviously, they did a lot after that.
1: Yeah, they like that's what happens when you work with a filmmaker who's ahead of his time is everyone around you going like, what are you doing? Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the dialogue, a lot of the scenes were improvised Mm -hmm. and they used the script even though it it won the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay for uh, Ring Lardner Jr., uh, it was largely improvised, and yet it still won the Oscar, which I and think is fantastic. And it's a
2: really loose structure as well. Um, Altman was offered the script after several other filmmakers passed on it. But this was his breakout film. And, of course, a lot of people know about the TV series that came oh, after course. it. Of course. Yeah, Loving Years. And ears. people often point to the fact that MASH does have somewhat of an episodic structure to it. It's a very loose structure. Uh, but Altman had nothing to do with the actual TV show.
1: This is a – it's a bold movie. I mean, again, it was about Korea, but it really was about Vietnam. Yep. It was a subversive film. It was, uh, you know, the, the improv just sort of makes it feel so loose and natural. And, you know, this is also the first R-rated movie to drop
0: the F-bomb. Yes,
2: I was reading that. And, you know, we're talking about Pauline Kale, another great supporter of Robert Altman, of course, Roger Ebert. Mm -hmm. We mentioned him a lot, but he was so important for these up-and-coming directors. And he says about MASH, it is the flat-out poker-faced hatred in MASH that makes it work. Most comedies want us to laugh at the things that aren't really funny. In this one, we laugh precisely because they're not funny. I love that.
1: Well, Robert Altman actually said of his films, of his long career, he said, I don't think there's ever been a filmmaker who had a better shake than I've had. I've never been without a project, and it's always been a project of my choosing. I have been able to do what I wanted to do, and I've done it again and a lot.
2: And on our profile is Hassam Mazir... I was trying to say it, like, so calmly. <laughs> so naturally, right? <laughs> Mirza, Mirza says about mash it put altman on the map it also gave us one of the best sitcoms of all time through inspiration it was also my first altman and probably is one of my favorite comedies it also has a sharp and brutal critique of vietnam but more subtle allegorical and funny very well, very true
1: well before we really get into the thick of this show let's just take care of a little bit of business here
2: go for it so
1: it's been a while since we've like done a sh- episode of profiles and i like real realized I've really missed doing the show. I
2: missed it too. Is it? You know, it's so
1: great to be back. It's the first episode of 2016.
2: I I realized I forgot to put lipstick on today.
1: No, you look great without okay. the lipstick. <laughs> <used to> like, <laughs> I forgot to put the lipstick red. on too. Oh, God damn but it. anyway, so <laughs> please make sure you support profiles by going to iTunes and subscribe to profiles, and make sure you rate and review us on iTunes. Make sure you go to YouTube.com backslash Popcorn Talk Network. And subscribe to that as well. And make sure you share profiles with all of your movie fans. And make sure you have them share profiles too. Make sure you follow us on Twitter Here we go. at Alicia Malone at Movie Mance at Alicia Malone at Movie Mance. <laughs> yes, I missed us so much.
2: At Alicia Malone at Movie Mance. My favorite thing is not so much the pause; it's how you do the like. It's really strong. At.
1: at. Making my point, make sure you follow us Alicia Malone at Movie Man. And if you
2: like the t-shirts that we're wearing they are available on tpublic.com slash user slash profiles.
1: Yes. We love these profiles t-shirts. Moving right along what is your favorite scene from a Robert (laughs) Alvin movie? Your right stuff I have a feeling it's also my right stuff too.
2: Yeah I think it's the same. Um, It has to be the opening shot of the player. You mean that
1: eight minute opening shot of the player?
2: Incredible. Incredible. Apparently they did it 15 takes but you can see by the at the start that they use, take number ten. I love the way it includes the clapper, the action. So it's kind of like you're watching a movie being made, and then it is the movie itself. Yeah, because
1: that because right when the movie starts, it sets it up perfect. Right when the movie starts, you see the clapper, and you hear and action. And speaking of action, right now joining us on profiles is Elliot Gould, who made not one, not two. But three great films with the great Robert Altman. And Elliot Gould, thank you so much for joining. Joining us here on Profiles, you're on with Scott and Alicia.
3: Hello, Alicia. Hi, Scott. Thanks for uh, bringing me on.
2: Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. We're talking about what a master Robert Altman is. And watching his films is such a treat. It's great to see you and a lot of them as well. (laughs) So in your opinion, what makes Robert Altman stand out from, from the rest of the pack?
3: Well, I mean, uh, he loved life, and I find that all, for sure most, if not all of his uh, films, uh, reflected life taking its course, which, uh, of course, is the most interesting part of uh, our nature. And so Bob did uh, a, a lot of great work, and for me, he was the American director There were others, great iconic directors like John Ford, Frank Capra, uh, great American directors, and and Bob Altman certainly was one.
1: Well, what was your first impression of him when you, you you were getting ready to gear up for MASH, you got the script? What do you remember about your first meeting with Robert Altman?
3: Um Well, he was alone in the office. He was wearing a hat, like one of those Australian uh, hats with one side folded up. He gave me uh, the script, asked me to read it, and then come back and talk with him. And he then asked me if I would consider playing uh, Duke, the American Southerner. And I said, I've never questioned an offer, uh, and I'd love to work with you. Uh, but I'll be very intense validating me as an American Southerner, I could do it but this character of Trapper John McIntyre if you haven't cast it I've got what that character needs I've got the juice, I've got the energy and Bob just about let me cast myself and gave me the part. Oh, that's <laughs> great. so
2: great! Now he was unlike anyone else in terms of his structure or the, the looseness of it. What was it like for you in, in
3: terms of what? what yeah, did you in terms
2: of his the structure, the way he um, the way he structured his movies, the way he allowed you guys to improvise as an actor. What was that like for your first experience with him?
3: Well, my first experience on Mash, uh, it was Bob had everybody with him. And, of course, uh, Donald and I, Sutherland, uh, uh, we, uh, we worked for Bob, and we were part of his ensemble, but we were sort of a bit isolated. And uh, I remember when Bob asked me uh, at the beginning, because Donald was cast before me, uh, if I would have lunch with Donald uh, at uh, the commissary of 20th Century Fox. And so we didn't quite get it, or at least I certainly didn't get it. I I was used to much more structure and didn't feel terribly secure in uh, the way Bob was directing. I didn't understand it, but eventually it all worked out, and I was able to do a lot more work with him.
1: Well, when did you feel, during the making of MASH, when did you sort of feel it start to come together? When did you realize that you could actually trust him as a director
3: well trust is an interesting thing i mean uh uh uh, uh, let's see um uh when i saw the film i mean it's my my i believe that uh, the mash uh is uh robert altman's creation and when he put in uh, the loudspeaker's as a spine for it, as far as in what was going on in the uh, uh, Army base. Uh, I recall when Ring Lardner Jr. came to the studio, he wrote the screenplay. And he and, and Donald and I were outside playing catch, and everybody was inside watching uh, the film at Fox with Bob and Ring Lardner Jr. And Ring Lardner Jr. came out, walked up to me, and I thought, gee, why, why, I'm just an actor here. But he walked up to me and said, how could you do this to me? There's not a word that I've written on screen. <laughs> and Ring Lardner Jr. went on to win the Academy Award that year for the best screenplay for MASH.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, I bet, I bet he stopped complaining after that happened. <laughs> That's so
2: amazing. And, of course, you worked, uh, as you said, with Altman several times. So when you came back to work with him for The Long Goodbye, how, how was that experience the second time around?
3: Well, that was a great privilege for me because uh, I had gone through uh, a difficult time uh, where I, you know, Bob was a rebel and I had uh, rebelled. And uh, and so the uh, studio gave me the script, Lee Brackett's script to The Long Goodbye, which of course is based on the great Raymond Chandler's uh, novel, The Long Goodbye. And uh, there was another uh, director who we thought was going to do it, but he didn't see me in it in the studio, then gave it to Bob. And Bob called me from Ireland, where he was finishing doing uh, images with Susanna York. And Bob said to me, what do you think? And I said, well, I've always wanted to play this character. That's uh, uh, Philip Marlowe. And Bob said, you are this character. And that was the beginning of the picture. <laughs>
1: oh, so well, that, that must have been so rewarding. I mean, you know, by that time, you know, the early 70s, uh, I felt I feel like, you know, rewatching his movies. Robert Altman really hit his stride. In those, uh, in those earlier films, you know, Long Goodbye, and then the California Split especially as well. Like, what are your fond memories of making those two films with him? Because, you know, I mean, MASH was more of an ensemble, but those other two, you know, they're more about you and obviously George Segal in California Split. Like, what fond memories do you have of his process of watching him work, of, of your collaboration with him?
3: Oh, well, I, I recall on The Long Goodbye There was a scene where uh, my character uh, was being uh, examined and pushed around by the police. And I I put ink on my face, which was not in the script. I improvised. uh, And... uh, and, and I, I recall when uh, we were making uh, the Ocean's Eleven movie that Steven Soderbergh came up to me and said, the ink on the face, was that an improvisation? And I said, <laughs> what are you talking to me about? I'm doing do something else now. And I said, oh, 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 and, and, and Steven says a long goodbye. I said, the long goodbye. I said, well, yes, it was. Was that behavior acceptable uh, to you? And he said, yes, but it was so unpredictable and unexpected. I said, what that reflected was Bob Altman's uh, confidence and trust in me, uh, whereas if I had stopped, uh, it would have cost us about twenty five minutes for us to get the ink off my face, which was never in the script uh, and and what movies are is time management in relation to resources and business and and so bob 's confidence in me and trust in me was something that I may never have had before and might not even have now if he hadn 't. Uh, uh, given me so much space uh, in which to express myself. Oh, nice. I love
2: that. And you appeared in in Nashville and the Player as well. How did you see Altman's style evolve over those years?
3: Well, I mean, I mean, I saw some of the work he did in the theater. We talked a good deal about doing more work together. Uh, We even had started to discuss the sequel to The Long Goodbye. And when we were making The Long Goodbye, we had discussed, uh, and not at length, you know, Bob was living. I mean, Bob was creating and being uh, in the moment all the time. And uh, we talked about doing perhaps a Raymond Chandler being, bringing a project of Raymond Chandler's to the screen maybe every third year. Oh. But I'm very grateful that we were able to make one, which is the long goodbye.
1: Yeah. Well, but what does the word... Now, this word has been used a lot over the years, especially because of the style that Altman created, but the term Altman-esque, <laughs> what, does that, what does that description mean to you?
3: Well, when you say created, and I think Bob knew that it's life that we're talking about uh, it's nature that we're talking about and a uh, nature does create itself and bob reflected it and uh my my take uh, of the american and bob uh, like i said to me was the american director uh, uh it, my take on the american is simply that which has evolved from everyone else as in the infant of the rest of the world mm. uh, when I uh, said that uh, to uh, Alfred Hitchcock, uh, not on the phone, he said, <laughs> I accept. Oh, wow. uh, when I then uh, shared that with uh, Jackie Nicholson. Uh, 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 you know, a, a great American artist and actor, uh, and told him about what Hitchcock said. Uh, Jackie got really excited. He said, "You see, Al, I mean, uh, Hitchcock could follow you. We haven't been able to follow you. It's been too complicated." Wow, but Bob. You know, Bob, once it said to me on MASH, I, I'm, di- you di- I'm distracted when I'm watching you work sometimes. And I said, then don't watch me. <laughs> see what I'm doing uh, in, concert, in concert with everything else that's going on on screen. I'm always in character. Don't kill what I'm doing until you see it in, con- in concert with everything else. And the next day he came to me and said, you're right.
1: Wow. Yeah. So I, I,
3: I was able to uh share something with Bob but I couldn't have unless he gave me the uh a privilege and the opportunity to uh and fill some space.
2: Wow, you mentioned Hitchcock, I just get chilled. Yeah, we got, we looked at each other I'm like <laughs> oh,
1: freaked out that's for a minute. My favorite
2: filmmaker. Um, but just before we let you go, for people who are listening who um, maybe have never seen a Robert Altman film, what would you say where they should start? Or what's your personal favorite Robert Altman uh, movie? I
3: don't have favorite. <laughs> uh, I recall when Bob would have me come to the office, and I watched Quintet, and that was really tough. Uh, that was a uh, you know, very tough uh, picture. It's, one, I think it may have been the second one of the pictures that Paul Newman made with Bob. Yep. And and I, I sat in the office struggling and suffering through it. And But then at the very end, I remember when Paul Newman is walking further north, further than where we've known life, uh, a, suddenly a bird appears. And I said, you see, Bob... I have to stick with everything that you do because you always have something for me. Yeah. Here is a bird representing life, and they're, they're, where there's life, there has to be hope. And that's what, part, that's what
1: Bob was doing. Well, well, i got to tell you, watching his movies, some of them again, uh, I've seen them many times now, I still get something else out of them, and I know that, that Alicia mm-hmm. does too. Oh, yes. And uh, Mr. Gold, thank you so, so much for calling in and sharing your memories of Robert Altman here Thanks, on Profiles. Dear. And uh, all the. The best to you and happy new year
3: <laughs> and the same to you and again thanks for the time and space
1: thank, thank you for you. the time and space have a great great day bye. thanks so much thank you bye bye uh, give it up
2: yay give uh. it up
0: that
1: was very, very cool. That
2: was so cool.
1: Oh, my gosh. I love it. But he's like like talking about a Jackie Nicholson and Alfred Hitchcock. And we go... I was
2: like, this is why I love doing this show.
1: This is what the show is all about. Yeah. Real movies, real film. I know. And for people watching and listening, if you have never seen a Robert Altman movie or you just haven't seen a lot of them do yourself a favor as a film fan and start watching a lot of them now. Mm -hmm. You don't know what you're missing if you have missed out on Robert Altman. These movies are fantastic. Yeah, Getting back to our right
2: stuff. Yeah, back to our right stuff. The Player. The Player. Which is that brilliant opening shot. We started talking about it, the Mm -hmm. way it sets up the movie. The thing that I love about it too is the characters all talking about long takes. Uh, The pitches. The pitches are great. And it follows different characters and it follows cars and people walking and bicycles and looks through a window and it's so intricate, so well choreographed but it just, it really sets a scene, doesn't it, about it being a stage and it being a movie within a movie and it's Blows my mind. It sets
1: up everything. It's in not this just movie. a trick
2: shot. It's it's it there's has a so purpose to it. it. Yeah.
1: Every there's a purpose to all of it because you hear the studio you see, you see and hear the studio execs walking around and they're talking about studio politics that Larry Levy is going to replace Griffin Mill, the p- character played by Tim Robbins. Yeah. Uh, you see uh, the the errand guy drop. A, uh, you know he gets hit by the cart and it yours in the, on the postcard the death, yeah. that says death I'm going drop. to na- I'm going to kill you in the name of all writers. <laughs> yes. And then you know you see the pitches you hear. You know, The Graduate, part two. It's Out of Africa meets Pretty Woman. And you
2: think, yeah, um, that's, just, that's how it is today. Nothing
1: even. has really changed in Hollywood, has it? It's a great, great movie, unscripted and improvised.
2: Wow. Yeah,
1: and it's just eight minutes long. It's one of the best uh, long shots in, in movie history. Next, of course, to Touch of Evil, which they, which reference, they reference a couple it. of times.
2: Love that. Love it so much. Well, let's keep going, shall we, for our fast five. Shall Number we? four is...
0: ...about that night with Mitchell Anderson. There's nothing to tell. All right. Then tell me about nothingness. I'd like to hear a complete account of nothing. <gasps> Shortcuts.
1: Shortcuts came out on October 3rd, 1993. One Oscar nomination, only one Oscar nomination, and that went to director Robert Altman, and uh, just interesting bit of trivia he lost that year to Steven Spielberg.
2: Schindler's List.
1: Schindler's List yeah. exactly. <laughs> but it did win a special ensemble award at the Golden Globes and it won best picture, best director and screenplay mm-hmm. at the Independent Spirit Awards. I have to say Shortcuts one of the best movies I've ever seen about Los Angeles.
2: Oh, it is. It it's so uh, captures the mood perfectly Um, I love the ensemble cast you know you've got Julianne Moore and Robert Downey Jr and Jack Lemmon yeah and um, Andy McDowell I mean so many people fill this and so many interesting characters it's got so many intersecting storylines but it all works so well I mean, it really reminds me of Magnolia. Of course. You know, Magnolia reminds me of it, Mm -hmm. vice versa. That would be a
1: hell of a double feature, wouldn't it? (laughs) It would.
2: (laughs) It really would. I mean, it's three hours of thoughtful, thoughtful storyline and also quite sad at the same time. Very melancholic mood throughout.
1: The, the interesting thing about Shortcuts that struck me then and struck me now watching it again is not everything works out for the best.
2: No. And
1: there are things that happen. There are consequences to the actions of these people in the movie that they might not even know about the consequences of their actions. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say what they are without spoiling the movie because if you haven't seen the film, I'm telling you, this is a great movie to watch. Definitely a great starting point if you want to get everything. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Right? This actually would be a good, good starting, starting point for Robert it. Altman.
2: 20. 22 characters. 22 characters <laughs> well, over
1: the. Uh, it's disconnected, lonely. Yeah. Uh, it's a. I think it's a, a poignant and profound film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's. Uh, it's shocking, and yeah. of course, uh, I, the, the the last scene of the movie, something happens that happens in a lot of places in the world, but. No More Than L.A.
2: Oh, No More Than L.A. Yeah. And I like that it's it's based on short stories and a poem all about Raymond Carver. Raymond Carver. Which, uh, by Raymond Carver, which you would recognize that name if you've seen Birdman. <laughs> because remember, <laughs> Riggins is doing a play. Oh, that's, that's right. Raymond Carver that's Play That's Carver. Written by Raymond Carver. <laughs> and Altman had discovered this book and then he read it on a plane. And he said, I got off the plane and I remember walking down the ramp and thinking, there's a movie here. I think what I did is I made Carver Soup out of these stories.
1: Carver Soup. And that's a
2: great way of saying it. It's just like mixing it all together and making something magical.
1: You know, when he, when he does his ensemble films, which he did, he did more of them as his career went on. And I just feel like I got the impression that that he would sort of revel in sort of creating chaos. Yeah. And, and and encouraging his actors, he really worked with his actors. He wasn't he was never separate from his actors. He saw he saw his actors as the most important element of the film. More than the director, more than the producer, even mm-hmm. more than the writer because they're the ones that you are watching. Mm-hmm. So he encouraged them. It's
2: funny that he skewed that with the player.
1: Exactly. With oh, the, the that executives
2: lie? thinking that they're more important than the
0: writers. And was
1: Tim Robbins said I was just thinking what a great thing it would be to remove the writer from the artistic process.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But the New York
1: times was a big fan of this movie uh, saying that the lies are often desperate and the characters inarticulate, but the group portrait is as grandly and hilariously realized as anything the director has ever done. That was Vincent Camping in the New York times. And
2: I have to do another Ebert quote just because he summed up exactly what you're saying about the mood of LA and the way it's captured. And he says it in a way that I could just never articulate he said, Los Angeles always seems to be waiting for something. Permanent seems out of reach. Some great apocalyptic event is on the horizon, and people know the future is tentative. Wow. Shortcuts captures that uneasiness perfectly.
1: That—that That is the greatest thing That's I ever how heard. I
2: feel about LA all the time. That
1: is not just the movie.
2: Yeah.
1: That is L.A. It is L.A. Roger Ebert. Of course it's Roger Ebert. He's amazing. Well, Zach Mitchell, not Roger Ebert, but he is one of our favorite profilers. And he's
2: got a good comment. He's
1: got a good comment here. And it's he's not, watching live. And he's watching live. What's up, Zach? <laughs> uh, it's not one of the easiest to watch, but Shortcuts is a powerful, incredible movie. It's the most impressive ensemble cast all been ever assembled, not including the cameos in the player. That's true. Uh, Shortcuts depicts how random life can be. By showing us characters who will never learn about the horrible outcomes of their actions. Oh, uh, and while the characters will never learn who caused those outcomes. Here, characters need not even directly intersect in order to have the most profound effects on each other. I would compare this first with Nashville, particularly mm-hmm. the finale. Shortcuts is the summation of Altman's filmography.
2: And Rachel Cushing, who's watching, says it's an honest movie which is refreshing though still sad. And um, Bill Pollan says that we need to do a Jack Lemmon profile at some I was point. thinking
1: about that when you mentioned that.
2: Yes. Jack uh, like yeah, it. I love Jack And
1: Lemmon. we also need to do Paul Newman.
2: Yeah, oh my gosh.
1: See? This is what I mean. We need your support so we can keep this going well, we, we want profiles to keep getting bigger and bigger and better and yeah. and, and and well we'll and get Miyazaki.
2: to that i mean there's so many we could so do. many, you know many people women. have requested
1: Miyazaki. yeah You know, we're going to get to jodie foster really yep. really soon because she's got a new movie coming out
2: so many that's gonna be good that. so All many right.
1: possibilities okay
2: last detail
1: last detail trivia about robert altman give me some
2: um, Oh, you said that one. I was going to be like, "Did you know the first F word was in there?" <laughs> <laughs> um, and yes, Mike Altman wrote the lyrics to "Suicide's Pains." The one that I have, though, it's an inter- it's an interview quote of Robert Altman, and it's just something that I love. I read it and I was like, "I'm writing this down." So it's not so much trivia, just a little bit of Altman. Okay. He said, wisdom and love have nothing to do with each other. Wisdom is staying alive, survival. You're wise if you don't stick your finger in the light, light plug. Love, <laughs> you'll stick your finger in anything.
1: Wow. That's a good quote. I love it. I mean, that's why he makes the movies he does. Now, it's my favorite. Now, so at the 2006 Academy Awards... Uh, I was working in the press room, which is where the winners would come back and talk to the press after they won their Oscar. Mm -hmm. So that year, that was the year that Robert Altman was honored with his honorary Oscar for his influential body of work. And that was right after he announced on stage that 10 10 or 11 years prior to that night – he had a heart transplant.
2: Oh wow!
1: And uh, you know, a lot of us in the press room didn't hear his speech because we were watching the the person prior giving, talking about their award. Yeah, and everybody just sort of like, wait, what? Did everybody? Did, did we know this? Yeah, and that was just a very interesting thing for him to reveal at the Oscars just a few months before he passed away. Wow,
2: what was it like seeing him in the flesh?
1: In the flesh, I, I'm telling you, Leash, <laughs> just just again, all the people that we've interviewed over the years. But there are certain people where you just go, they're the reason. They're the one. And Robert Altman was you. one of them. And I just went, wow. I mean, ever since I was a little kid, I've seen his movies. Yeah. Didn't love them all. But the ones I loved, I really loved. And here he is right there. I'm sorry I never got a chance to interview him. But uh, You got
2: to see him. That's great.
1: You got to see him. 14 other directors passed on Nash, which you mentioned. <laughs> yes. uh, among them were George Roy Hill who did uh, Butch and Sundance, yep. and director Sidney Pollock passed, too. Oh, wow. But you know what? It landed in the right hands. And one more, more trip uh, tidbit for you. Uh, six actresses were directed to Oscar-nominated roles by Robert Altman. Sally Kellerman, Lily Tomlin, Julie Christie, Ronnie Blakely, Helen Mirren, and Maggie Smith.
2: That's great. He gave them great roles. He gave women great roles because he often just reflects life, and he had really complicated men and women. Which is how it should be. That's
1: how it should be. Let's keep
2: going for Fast Five
0: number Number three. Three. I'm talking about a proper sporting house with class girls and
3: clean linen and proper hygiene. Well, I don't think you're going to find my clientele up here uh, too interested in that sort of thing.
1: Wow, McCabe, Mrs. McCabe, and, Mills, yeah, Mrs. McCabe and
2: Mrs. Miller. McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Speaking of uh, complicated women.
1: Complicated women. And this movie, uh, incredible film, a movie that has gotten better and more appreciated over the years. Released on June twenty fourth, nineteen seventy one. One Oscar nomination. Just like I said, Best Actress for Julie Christie. And this is a film that that the first time you see it, it you got to you got to be patient with it. Mm-hmm. Allow yourself to get into it because this is an what Robert Altman himself called an anti-Western yeah. because it shuns the conventions and cliches of the typical Western. It doesn't glorify the Old West. Yeah, it makes a it look... Hero. What movie did this remind you of when you were rewatching it?
2: I don't know. What were you going to
1: say? Uh, in, a, in a very small way, especially just because it was set in the small town, it reminded me a little of The Revenant.
2: Oh, really?
1: Just because The Revenant is a Western.
2: Yeah. But, but it is but it's so not...
1: different... That it doesn't feel like a Western. That's if someone true. told me that McCabe and Mrs. Miller was a Western, uh before I or you know, while I was watching it, I'd be like, no way. Yeah. I, I mean it's nineteen oh two in Washington State, and but it is a Western. Yeah. And with an incredible That's scene at the end, the shootout scene where uh Don't
2: give the, anything away. Don't <laughs> want to give
1: anything away, but there's no music. Uh-huh. It's very intense. The ending is very was very controversial then. Controversial then. <laughs> it's been a few weeks, folks. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's controversial now, and uh, I think it is a, a, a very, very suspenseful, but still in its own unique way, a true Robert Altman movie.
2: It is, yeah. And and they sometimes call these kind of westerns revisionist westerns yep. with the darker tone, the focus on realism. Uh, it was based on a 1959 novel called McCabe. And, yeah, like, it's interesting that he said it was an anti-Western. You definitely see that. The character played by Warren Beatty, he's no hero. He's looking out for himself. Mm -hmm. Same with the character played by Julie Julie Christie. Christie. Uh, Apparently, Warren Beatty and Robert Altman clashed (laughs) a lot on set. Shocker. Because Altman wanted to throw out the script and just improvise it all, and that's not the way that Warren Beatty worked. Uh, He wanted to use long lenses instead of close-ups. And afterwards, Beatty was upset at the overlapping dialogue because some of it you can't quite hear what they're saying. It's it's a bit muffled. It's hard to make out, um, but Altman doesn't do or didn't do dubbing afterwards. You know when you're
1: when you're watching his movies for the first time, you're like, who do I listen to? Who do I listen to? Which
2: character is important? Which one do I need to follow? Watch it again. Yeah, watch it again.
1: Choose your choose your character. Choose your
2: own adventure. Choose
1: your dialogue, and uh, you know Altman was very innovative with his use of sound Mm -hmm. because he created these track machines. So that even though you have a bunch of actors in a scene and they're all talking over each other, each, each microphone was able to pick up the person just that it was focusing on. Mm. And, of, you know, of course, it's used all the time now, but the, it's not just his visuals. It's the use of sound that also made sure. him so innovative. Which and
2: makes you feel like you're listening in on life, on a conversation. Natural.
1: He, was, he always yeah. went for the natural, genuine feel of being in the room with a bunch of people. And referring to McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Roger Ebert said, uh, Altman has made a dozen films that can be called great in one way or another, but one of them is perfect, and that film is McCabe and Mrs. Miller.
2: I also love what Altman said about Warren Beatty afterwards. He was like, Warren was infuriated. He's still infuriated. He'll just have to stay infuriated. (laughs) (laughs) What ended up being such a masterpiece. And Federico Martins said on our Profiler's Facebook page, although Altman is better known for ensemble pieces, McCabe and Mrs. Miller is arguably his masterwork. Altman trades the epic shots of Once Upon a Time in the West or The Searchers for an intimate and bleak anti-Western with beautiful cinematography and a beautiful Score. It's a perfect movie that not only ranks amongst the best westerns of all time, but also among the best films of all time, period.
1: Well, Liam LeGrand from your homeland of Australia Aussie. said McCabe and Mrs. Miller is the definitive anti-western of the 70s. Robert Altman avoids a substantial amount of cliches apparent in the western genre and generates a, a mature atmosphere that was beginning to emerge in other films such as The Wild Bunch, Straw Dogs, and A Clockwork Orange. By the way, this kid's 17 years old.
3: Know,
2: he's watching now. Very impressed with he's this guy. So impressive. So
1: impressive. From the distributed, the, from the prostitutes to the disgusting environments, <laughs> The Wild West was realistically captured on film and wasn't sugarcoated in any way. The reason why Robert Altman is my favorite director of all time is because he's capable of getting diverse and creative performances out of any actor and actress. Hashtag Film Geek, hashtag Profile, profile for Life. life.
2: <laughs> Love that. Okay. There's so many films, obviously, that Robert Altman did. We can't fit them all into our Fast Five, so hit me up with some others. Oh, by what the are way, the others that you love?
1: We can't even fit them all in our others. No,
2: I had to pair them right down. I was
1: like, boy, I mean, this could be like a three-hour show if we go down the list, but For of sure. course we talked to Elliot Gould about The Long Goodbye, mm-hmm. 1973, uh, Detective Philip Marlowe, the music in this movie by John Williams. This is a film noir classic in every sense of it the is, word. It is,
2: but set in modern 70s. Yes,
1: it is, 70s. and I knew re-watching the film, I'm like, oh, I bet Alicia loves this movie. Oh,
2: yeah, I love it. It's a gumshoe. Yep, totally. Mm -hmm. Yep, I love it. Love that. I also really like Gosford Park, Mm -hmm. 2001, the British... British sort of murder mystery uh, it's got his classic camera work and conversational dialogue mixed with English drama also has some really interesting things to say about the class system
1: it was the Downton Abbey of its day yeah I
2: think it inspired Downton Abbey it definitely
1: Abbey. did yeah seven Oscar nominations including picture and director and a one original screenplay for Julian Fellows another movie that I like a lot I'm not sure if it's if it's regarded as one of its best but I certainly love it and, and just love it more than that I've watched it again it's Three Women Mm. It came out in 77. Shelley Duvall, Sissy Spacek, and Janice Rule. It's a very bizarre film. Yeah. Uh, it starts off as one one film. Basically, I mean, it's called Three Women. It really centers on these two roommates played by Sissy Spacek and Shelley Duvall. And then there's this like role reversal that happens towards the end of the film. It's a bizarre. It's a surreal film. And uh, Altman, so I want to say he wrote the screenplay, even though he just sort of wrote uh, more or less an outline for it because he improvised you know he encouraged improvisation but he sort of based it on his dreams which gives it that surreal feel
2: yeah it definitely does i i also like the company which was 2003 mm -hmm. i know it's not people's favorites but i think it's a great indie film about a ballet and and he's so great at looking at these little microcosms you know whether it's country music or whether it's la or whether it's ballet whether it's england like english sort of drawing room then he's so great at picking apart the, the the systems that go on within this microcosm and that's why i liked the company and it had nev campbell and james franco a bit all over the place but yeah i still it's, stuck it's, with it
1: again not not one of his best but i still not like it the best a lot reviewed at all. but uh another film not a film but it is a tv miniseries tanner 88 Never seen uh that is it was an hbo miniseries in the late 80s 1988 during an election year it's a mockumentary about a uh, uh, Jack Tanner played by Michael Murphy running for president, and it was written by gary trudeau uh, and this was thousand nine hundred and eighty eight you know before Cable really was what it is now with like Showtime and and all these great Netflix. shows. Ta- ta- <laughs> yeah. yeah, especially Netflix, <laughs> where like you know you download a whole ep- a season of uh, House of Cards. Uh, making a manor. Tanner eighty eight. Uh, he obviously he cut his chops in uh, in TV, but this was a return to TV. But it was still felt very Altman esque. And just one final film that I wanted to mention was his final movie, <laughs> A Prairie Home Companion. Yeah. A lovely film, really really charming and delightful came Mm -hmm. out in 2006 Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson
2: standby director
1: standby director because he was ill and if something should happen PTA would have gone on to finish the movie, and of course, after making Magnolia, if anybody yes. is is qualified oh, yes. to do an Altman film, yeah. it's Paul Thomas it's Anderson. The hand of
2: multiple characters, but at he once. went out.
1: He went out on a very very high note. I mean, yeah. it was a lovely lovely film. It was great. Really cast. Lovely,
2: great cast. Meryl Streep and our brackets. Brackets, yes. Almost forgot about our brackets. Uh, thank you to the profilers. What we do every week on our Facebook page is that uh, our profilers do these little competitions where you can vote. So this time they voted on the best films directed by Robert Altman. It came down to The Player versus MASH and then Gosford Park versus Nashville. So those each worked themselves out to be the player versus Nashville as the grand final. Who do you think won the player versus Nashville for our profilers as the best Robert Altman film?
1: The best Robert Altman film. Well, I'm going to say just because... I'm going to go with The Player.
2: The Player. The Player did win. Yep, The Player won. Our profile is like that as their favorite movie from Robert Altman.
1: Well, it's also That's one great. of ours, which brings us to number
0: two in our Fast Five.
2: Yes, which, which is... Movie
0: exec calls Ryder. Ryder's girlfriend says he's at the movies. The exec goes to the movies, meets Ryder, drinks with Ryder. Ryder gets conked and dies in four inches of dirty water. Less Think
2: than, fast. Yeah, 25 <laughs> seconds. Less than 25 seconds. The Player.
1: The Player, released on April tenth, 1992. Cost $8 million to make. Box office about $22 million. Three Oscar nominations, including Best Director, Adapted Screenplay, and Editing. And 12 years after Popeye, which was kind of a bomb and a bunch of his other films, didn't really hit their mark. This was, without question, Altman's comeback movie. Yeah. What a comeback it was. I
2: love that it's his comeback, because at the same time, he's completely... During Hollywood, absolutely, and it was his comeback into the Hollywood system.
1: This is a razor sharp Hollywood satire. i
2: Love this movie. The
1: dialogue is is great. It is. It says just as much about Hollywood today as it did in 1992. Oh yeah. And the thing about this movie is, you know, I saw it. I moved out to LA in '91, so five months later, I see the (laughs) player. Welcome to
2: Hollywood. (laughs) Welcome
1: to. So I saw the movie at this theater on uh, Avenue of the Stars. It was um. Uh, A a theater that doesn't even exist anymore. CAA is headquartered there now. But I I just moved here. And, you know, Century City is an industry town. So I go on this Friday night to see the movie with a bunch of friends. And everybody, it was sold out. Everybody's laughing. Everybody is laughing at this movie. And I'm looking around going like, (laughs) where the (laughs) hell am I? It was Hollywood. Hollywood was laughing at itself because the movie was so right on. It's so funny and so smart and so inside, proving that, yes, making movies can be murder.
2: I, I love uh, that it's people laugh at it because it is making fun of Hollywood. It's kind of like the anti-entourage because entourage is a celebration of Hollywood and the glamour. This just takes it down. Yeah. And Like we were saying before, it's like a movie within a movie within a movie. It's like the life of Griffin Dunn, played by Tim Robbins, becomes a movie right. within itself. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I was also rewatching it uh, just this week and now that I'm in LA I think I find it funnier and scarier than yeah. before I saw it when I was in LA. It also made me think about how while Hollywood is still the same in terms of like let's make this movie mixed with this movie or the sequel of this, it also made me think that these days screenwriters don't really even get in the room to pitch anything original. It's by marketing. They decide first, and then they hire screenwriters to come on board.
1: Well, I mean, this is the days before the internet, 1992, but the movie is not that dated because... You know, during their pitch meetings in the beginning of the film, during that, that yeah. eight-minute scene, everybody wants Julia Roberts and Bruce Willis in their film. Yeah. And in 2016, people still want Julia Roberts and Bruce Willis in their movies. And I
2: love how there's a cameo by Bruce Willis and Julia Roberts in the player. What
1: took you so long?
2: Yeah.
1: Traffic was a Traffic bitch. Traffic Great movie. So
2: true. Um, Altman said, it's not a truthful indictment of Hollywood because Hollywood is much uglier than I portrayed it. But nobody would have been interested if I'd shown how sadistic, cruel, and self-orientated it is.
1: So he went easy.
2: I agree. Yeah. He went easy. That's
1: very true. Entertainment Weekly gave it an A+. plus, uh, Saying, the player is deliciously, quintessentially Altman. It was his deadpan mastery, his sidelong way at spotlighting jokes within in the jovial mindlessness of Everyday Banner and Ebert Roger Ebert said it's a movie about today's Hollywood hilarious and heartless in equal measure and often at the same time
2: yeah I would say if people haven't seen any Robert Altman movies I, I would place. say Shortcuts or The Player because right. The Player is really accessible. interesting and accessible Billy Polahan who is watching right now live says about The Player few films capture Hollywood with such grit and darkness The Player is a film that until Profiles I had never even heard of love oh, But I watched it and I fell in love with it. Oh, that makes me so happy. The cameos of celebrities being exaggerated versions of themselves make the film feel even more authentic and believable. Tim Robbins is terrific is Griffin Mill, and he is building paranoia teachers on the verge of madness. It is an amazing film, and one that I'll watch many more times. Hashtag Film Geek. Hashtag, hashtag Profile for, for
1: life. life. Now, we haven't done this segment in quite some time. Adaptation. Yes. Which is where we look, look at the filmmaker we're talking about, and say, hey, maybe if you like these movies, check out other films that were inspired by this. Well, mm-hmm. because Altman was so influential, we just had to bring back Adaptation and talk about some films that would not exist had it not been for films like Nashville and Shortcuts.
2: Well, of course, Magnolia Magnolia
1: being one of them, Paul Thomas Anderson from 1999. That movie really, not only would it be a great companion piece to Shortcuts, it would be a great sequel Mm-hmm. of sorts to shortcuts also the year before uh, and this was a movie that Magnolia reminded me of when I saw Magnolia uh, Happiness mm-hmm. directed by Todd Silence
2: who has a movie at Sundance
1: yes uh, Wiener oh Dog gosh, I yeah I can't wait to see Ugh. Sundance okay we're digressing here <laughs> Also, a movie that, love it or hate it, it did win Best Picture. Director Paul Haggis for Crash.
2: Yes, also Traffic. Traffic. Soderbergh. Yep. Has oh, a yeah. lot of those intersecting storylines. I mean, you could even go with things like we were talking about Love Actually. Love Actually, yeah. You can even talk about Cloud Atlas. You know, it was another one with multiple storylines based on a book, but it was done like that in the film. Um, you could also talk about Pulp Fiction with all the different interesting characters. Good one. Intersecting. Good one. And I would also say Birdman in terms of the the camera shots.
1: Oh, that's great. And the correct. Raven Carver. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, also I mean that is sort of a ensemble in itself. Even
2: though Altman, you know, he did The Player, which was a, a great long take, and he didn't do that many long takes. He, the way he moved his camera felt a lot like Birdman to me.
1: And a lot of his Bye films, yeah, especially if you go back and watch The Long Goodbye, the camera is always moving.
2: Always moving. It's like almost documentary style. It's, because it's always moving with the people. And
1: also like makes it a little bit more suspenseful.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, speaking of suspense, our number one movie, what could it be? It is...
0: Life, maybe!
3: anybody down here
2: can help us but it, don't worry me. Uh, uh-huh. it don't worry me it don't worry me, oh.
1: uh, don't worry me. barbara harris singing and <laughs> the finale of nashville, nashville. our number one Robert, oh, what a haunting ending what a great movie released June 6, 1975, cost uh, $2.2 million to make. Box office was around $7 million, five Oscar nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director, and two for supporting actress for Lily Tomlin and Ronnie Blakely, one Oscar win for song Keith Carradine. I'm easy,
2: and there's a, an hour of music in this film. Music as a lot of music, but they it talks about the characters and their feelings and what they're going through.
1: And it also, you could say, oh, the music was great, but sometimes it was, and sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it, it wasn't. wasn't. Like, for example, let me be the one. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, Celine Gay.
2: Celine,
1: she's a dreamer. I
2: know. And then what happens to her? I mean, the whole movie is such an interesting look at celebrity. It is also an interesting look, obviously, at country, Western music, Mm -hmm. but also about politics, like post-Watergate politics. It says a a, lot about the time.
1: It's an intersection of music and politics and also the politics of music. Yeah. And, you know, you have, uh, like, the way Elliot Gould was talking before about the loudspeaker at the uh, MASH base, you Mm -hmm. know, Attention All Personnel, it was sort of like this backbone to the movie. And the backbone to this film is that van driving around Mm -hmm. saying, you know, vote for. My candidate, because here's why. And you know, he's throughout the entire movie. It keeps cutting back to that. Like it's a, I don't say it's a running joke, but it does sort of like thread the movie together. And watching it, watching this movie again, it really gets swept up in it. It's a really engrossing film, and it has a really epic feel to it. Doesn't it? It is
2: epic, um, and it has 24 main characters who are all linked in one way or another.
1: Over five days.
2: Over five days. Uh, some of the characters only have about 20 minutes of screen time. But still, you feel attached to them, you care about them, you want to see what happens next, and that ending... Not giving anything away, but yeah. it just leaves it you breathless if it, it hits, hits you. Because yep. it has some very funny moments up till then. Um some serious moments, funny and then it just like it's a sucker punch.
1: It is definitely and it just like it just, like when the movie's over, you're just you're just like, whoa. And right. Elliot
2: Gould is himself, which and is Elliot great.
1: Gould is himself in the movie <laughs> right, that's so great. Uh Colleen <laughs> kale really championing this film as well. Yay. The funniest epic vision of America to ever reach the big screen.
2: I've got another Pauline kale quote for you. Mm -hmm. She said about Nashville, it's pure emotional high, and you don't come down when the picture is over.
1: You don't. Absolutely you don't. And Roger Ebert, finishing it off from our critics here, (laughs) after I saw it, I felt more alive. I felt I understood more about people. I felt... Wiser. It's that good of a movie. Wow. And just finishing it off from our profilers, of course we're going to give it to Rachel Cushing, who is just a fantastic critic and a great writer. Nashville is a truly unique film with an absolutely sprawling cast impactful music and sometimes elusive themes it's one of the seminal films that changed how and why movies can't be made the film takes place over five days and tells a number of interconnected stories leading up to a political rally for an unseen candidate though it is often biting and satirical there's also a beautiful undercurrent of sadness and earnestness to the stories particularly that of Lily tomlin's character Linnea. And then there are the songs. Mm -hmm. The more times you see this movie and listen to the lyrics of the many musical numbers, the more you come to realize how deep and thoughtful a director Altman truly is. And speaking of that music, the performers, the actors were encouraged to write their own songs, yeah. and perform them live.
2: Incredible. And it's also the film that gave Jeff Goldblum a start.
1: That's right. The little magician. Yeah, the little know, motorbike vogue With those yeah, glasses. So good. so good. Well, just before we go, we're just going to just take care of business one last time. Again, please make sure you go to iTunes. iTunes! Remember iTunes? And subscribe <laughs> to our podcast there. And please, even if you're watching the show now, please make sure you go to iTunes and rate and review us on iTunes so we can kind of get back on the board. It's been while mm-hmm. but also make sure you go to youtube.com oh, .com backslash popcorn 12 network subscribe to us there correct and make sure you follow us oh, here we go on twitter yeah. at alicia malone at at Movie Mance, at Alicia Malone, at Movie Mance. It's all about the pause. At Alicia Malone, at Movie Mance.
2: Yay! Now let's just quickly recap our fast five. Number five was Nash.
1: Number four, shortcuts. Number three, the player. No, no. McCabe number three and was This is <laughs> Miller. <laughs> number two,
2: the player. Number one, Nashville. Nashville. I close my book. I close my book too. And we will see you guys very soon. But next time on Profiles, bye. bye.
0: from producers maria menounos kevin undergaro phil spitek christian harlop and the entire popcorn talk network we would like to thank you for tuning in for questions or comments be sure to visit popcorntalk.com i'm sir richard wentworth and this has been a presentation of the popcorn talk network the views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of its owners or principals